The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Somebody is back this week, and it is Blue Chew. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. They bring you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. Blue Chew is made in the good old US of A. It is prescribed online by a licensed physician, so you don't have to go to a doctor or wait in line. It is cheaper than a pharmacy, and they prepare and ship it right to you in a discreet package. No awkwardness, and you don't need to leave the house. It's great. So go to bluechew.com, get your first shipment free when you use the special promo code. It's going to be a new one. Dr. Tom, and just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Dr. Tom to try it for free. Blue Chew, remember, they are a better, a cheaper choice, and we like to thank them for sponsoring the show. Remember, you, you can obviously uh, support us by supporting them. You can help make this podcast grow even more by going to a bluechew.com. Again, make sure you use the promo code Dr. Tom. And of course, one more time, bluechew.com. Dr. Tom, you got to love Blue Chew. Oh, I, I do. I, I've tried it before, and uh, especially when they were one of our sponsors. And uh, it, it is a great product. Uh, so I, I enjoyed it myself. Let me just say that. I, I don't know how far I can really uh, stress uh, about Blue Chew. But, but, yeah, great product. Try it out, and you get a free opportunity when you contact them. So, yeah. Yes. Fantastic. And just that's D-R-T-O-M, Dr. Tom. Pretty simple. BlueChew.com, a free, uh, free product. $5 shipping. So very, very good stuff there from a blue shoot. Great, great time, man. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love being in that room and seeing all the different walks of life, all the different wrestlers coming from the different promotions, and then seeing the fans kind of uh, work their, you know, work their way around the room. It's almost like they're working the room and, uh, you know, seeing a little bit of their past, their present, and the future. But another guy who's going to be a part of the Captain's Corner crew there is Tony Anthony. So there's a little bit of a Smoky Mountain wrestling connection. And, of course, you know, these Legends of the Ring fans are so well-versed in wrestling and know you from the WWF. But I think the word has started to travel a little bit more now about Smoky Mountain wrestling. So being in New Jersey and talking a little Smoky Mountain wrestling, is that something that back in the day in Smoky Mountain you, you'd think you'd be doing 20 years later? No, 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 not at all. But, uh, you know, after seeing the the plug on Raw a couple couple weeks now, uh, they're, they're talking about some of the old territory matches they have on the network, and people are discovering the old school. And have you guys had the chance to see Southpaw Championship Wrestling or Regional Wrestling? Have you watched that, man? Yes, definitely. You can't miss it yeah, when they post okay. things. Of course, man. Well, I have to, and I, you know, I almost I, I cringe, but I but I can't cringe because they're so right on with a lot of the territory stuff. It was so ridiculous, but it was so good, man. And Smoky Mountain, excuse me, was one of those territories that was just so so good with the old school and with Knoxville and, and uh, East Tennessee and this the southeastern part of the country. Fans wanted to believe. They still want to believe, and they want to come and have a great. Uh, a great time uh, where where the guys went out, the wrestlers went out and, and gave it their all, and uh, and it was wrestling or wrestling, however you want to say it. And uh, I think you know people discovering that style and discovering the the vibe and and the atmosphere that was created back then by those guys. So you know I've known Tony uh, Anthony, gosh, for over thirty years, and. Uh, so we, you know, we, we've this isn't the only territory we've uh, wrestled together in. You know, it's been Memphis and uh, Continental Championship Wrestling in Alabama and Florida, and uh, mainly in the Southern territories. You know, and then uh, of course he was T.L. Hopper and WWF back then. But uh, it's it's good to see him. And um, again, you know, we live in Knoxville. Both of us live in Knoxville now, so we we get together occasionally, have dinner, and. Uh, uh, still communicate and tell old stories of lies whenever we get together, man. So if anybody's around us at the table, uh, I'm sure we'll hear a few of those, and, and they'll have to decipher which is true and which isn't. And, of course, I'll be telling the truth, and that no-good son of a gun will be telling the lies. So. <laughs> you know, that's really funny that you mentioned the, the Southpaw being authentic to, you know, what the territories were because – you know, there's a little bit of a backlash from old school fans who still take that kind of wrestling uh, very seriously, especially those historians that look back and they basically watch the old school like it is the new school because they can kind of uh, uncover new territories they've never seen before. But do you look at that still? You just you like it as a kind of tongue-in-cheek look back? I mean, obviously the guys who were doing it are, were fans themselves. So, uh, you know, yeah. maybe the uh, the hardcore purists might think it's, uh, you know, not great, but as a guy who went through it, you think it's something that's pretty authentic. Man, look, they're having fun. You you have to look at wrestling these days. And, uh, you know, as we're talking, as we are talking this very moment, I know this is on tape, but I'm watching Dolph Ziggler. I don't know what he's saying, but it's obvious he's parodying John Cena right now. So, uh, look. It's always been sports entertainment, and was it over the top and kind of hokey back then? In the, I grew up in the '60s, man. I watched the '60s and '70s, and then I started actually wrestling in, in 1979. So there was a lot of old school, uh, you know, wrestling back then. And to expect, you know, looking back on it, um, <laughs> some of it was pretty, you know, some of it was pretty good, but some of it was pretty terrible. So. Yeah, uh, they're making fun. They're having a good time, but I mean, it's 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 entertaining to me. And it almost, if it hits home, it hits home. But I don't have any problem with it. It's uh, it is what it is. And if we can't laugh at ourselves, then you know who can? <laughs> you know who who everybody's gonna laugh at it because it's just so 
uh, crazy. But then you look at it and you're going like, uh, man, look at the Detroit territory. The, the Jericho as being the guy who was in the ring uh, introducing the Sheik during the TV is probably the guy's nephew. You know, I can I can tell you every character that's been in every territory that those guys are, are spoofing. And, and Lance Catamaran, John Cena's dead on, man, because some of those guys just took it way, way over the top. But you know what? It is what it is. It was what it was, and, and it's evolved to this. Whether it's for the better or worse, time alone tell, man. But uh, these days, let me just say this, the, the guys on WWE are better athletes, they have better uh, they have better advice than we did, and they're, they're taking a lot better care of themselves. So they have a right to do what they want, and, and if, they're, if nobody watches, then nobody watches. <clears throat> but they seem to be doing okay, I guess, you know, uh, so far. I know it was a highly anticipated uh, second edition that they, they published there, so uh, obviously... They're doing something, right? And they've turned it into T-shirts, and they've uh, kind of spawned their own little cult following there. So they're almost controlling the uh, the narrative in terms of uh, not only the uh, the old school that they've got in their vault, but they're creating their own old school vibe now. Of course, man. But you know uh, what was it? Um, uh, I forget. I forgot the character. Uh, um, Michael Hayes was on the last one. What was it? Dewey. You know, do it for Dewey, you know, and Michael's coming out doing the deal. So I mean, you know, they know, and and Michael was as old school as it got. Michael's great, has a great mind for this business, but you know, Michael was uh, <laughs> was a child of the '70s and '80s, and and the Freebirds, and my God, if you wanted to talk about every stereotype of what a wrestler is and was back then. He looked no farther than Michael P.S. Hayes, and Michael's a very good friend of mine, and I think he. Uh, I think he had a good time with it too, and understands what it is. So, I think they're just having fun, and uh, uh, you know, pointing out the absurd part of what what professional wrestling was back then. But I got to tell you, man, I loved I loved professional wrestling back then. I love professional wrestling back then, and I still love professional wrestling today. And I think the fans that come to conventions like Legends of the Ring are in that same boat. And some of them may think that uh, we get offended, and some guys do get offended when, when we're being made fun of and parodied. But but I don't, man. I mean, it's, it is, like I said, it is what it is. And laugh at it and enjoy it and entertain yourself and entertain everybody else, and, and that's what this is about. So when you go to a convention like this, and obviously, you know, like we've said, these are hardcore fans that are coming to these, and these are guys that they know what they want, you know, when they bring an item to get signed, they know what they want to say to you probably weeks and weeks in advance. But what would you say the most discussed or asked about topic is with you when you get into one of these things? Uh, a lot of people ask me about the time uh, that Tony Anthony hung me in Birmingham and the, the dirty white boy or the dirty white girl came up and uh, uh, wanted to talk to Tom, and they remember they remember moments. Gosh, moments uh, from from that I think, especially on YouTube. But uh, a lot of fans, you know, I make no bones about it, man. I know I know our position, what it was in WWE. I know what we did, and later on, I really enjoyed training people and 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 getting that aspect of my career uh, going. And a lot of people will ask me about the guys I've trained, who the who the most successful guy I think came through. And of course, the most successful guy that I had uh, had a chance to help was The Rock. But it wasn't definitely wasn't all me, and it definitely wasn't uh, just because of me that The Rock was successful. The Rock was was successful because he he had no other choice. That was his destiny, and he he wasn't going to stop until he was. So uh, you know. <laughs> The the greatest thing about the fans coming up and just saying something to you is I, I, I know what it was like when I was a fan. I know I still have that feeling because I'm still a fan. But I know what it was like when you'd walk up to somebody and say something and they would be, oh, yeah, thanks, or mm, not not say anything. But to be genuinely interested and to be genuinely uh, paying attention to what you're saying means everything. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things. I mean, I remember what you said, but they remember how you made them feel is so true. Uh, and I hold that still to this day. 
um, I feel it's uh, I feel it's very important because because like I said, I was a fan too, and I remember the uh, the jerks, and I remember the guys who took the time and took that extra time and effort to uh, at least seem and be interested. That is a hell of a uh, that's a hell of a moment for them to uh, to pick out because my God, that's pretty. Uh, it's pretty intense, and we've documented it many, many times on this show that Smoky Mountain Wrestling was uh, was pretty much the last territory to do kind of uh, more extreme angles like that, ha-ha, not a nod to ECW by saying extreme. But one of the things I wanted to bring up to you as we kind of talked about Smoky Mountain was just the intensity of some of the things that you did. And what comes to mind with me is the feud that the Heavenly Bodies had with uh, Bobby Fulton and Jackie Fulton and the intensity that you guys had and, and just going back to do a little research for the episode and watching the brawl that you guys had backstage and literally throwing every single piece of debris you could find and, and a, a seemingly endless brawl back there. You know, do you think that Smoky Mountain Wrestling, you know, being like, quote, the last real territory, do you think you guys were really ahead of your time with um, kind of keeping that, intact you know that that nostalgic view at this point but kind of like the um you know the more authentic product that was lost only you know not only a few years later well i i don't know if we were necessarily keeping it or being ahead of our time i do know this though uh the general consensus with the guys that jim Cornette wanted in smoky mountain wanted in his territory uh, were guys who loved the business, believed in the business of professional wrestling, and knew when they came to the arena or came to the building, uh, they took it seriously and were not playing a character, but who they were was who they were. And it was in that realm of authenticity that that we came to... Uh, to the ring and did our did our matches, and with the Fantastics, like it was Bobby and Jackie Fulton, uh, it was one of those things. And it's just to go off a side street here. It's kind of like working with Brock Lesnar. You know, when you go in the ring with Brock, it's going to be a solid match. Um, you know, when you went in the ring with the Fantastics, that they were going to throw. If it came down to that's what we we had set up, we were going to throw objects or whatever it was. We were going to throw whatever it was. We weren't going to half-ass it. We had to throw it for real, and it was all going to be uh, as real as it had to be. Uh, And that was the attitude we all had. We still uh, walked to the ring like it was a match, like we were going into competition, like we were going into win. We didn't break, so I hate the word character, but we didn't break character. We weren't playing a part. We were being the part. You know, uh, uh, <laughs> what what you saw is what you saw, and, and it was just us with our, our attitudes and our personalities turned up. Um, I didn't like people. I had long hair to hide the, a lot of issues I had, um, and I looked down. I, I, I just, I had this vibe. I knew I had the vibe that uh, uh, just stay away from me because I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to talk. Yeah, I was a heel, and I was supposed to be a heel, and I felt it. So I think in that territory, he wanted guys like that. And uh, for the most part, that's what we had. Now, us on this show, we're huge Cornette fans. You know, we're we're part of uh, the cult of Cornette. What are your thoughts of Jim Cornette, and did you enjoy working for him back in the Smoky Mountain days? Oh my God! I enjoyed every minute of it, even even when I made him mad. Uh, I made him mad one time in Johnson City when he destroyed his racket, but it, that was my fault, and I take full responsibility. But I have nothing but love, respect, and admiration for Jim Cornette. He has every right to have his opinion. Uh, I don't agree with everything he says or does, but that doesn't matter because I respect him so much for what he's the commitment that he put into everything. Uh, not just a Smoky Mountain, but but even today, he just is a uh, uh, he's talented. He is smart. He does understand um, uh, parts about the business that that people may not think he understands today. I, he does understand it, but I think he enjoys also being an antagonist too. 
So I, I have uh, I have nothing but respect and admiration for Jim. I really, really do. He, and he, if it wasn't for Jim, I wouldn't wouldn't have would have never had an opportunity to do the things I did. If I could stay on Smoky Mountain for a second here, I just loved the Heavenly Bodies. Such a great gimmick, such a great look, such a great team. Coming together and putting that together, especially starting it off with Stan Lane, obviously a legendary wrestler from one of the greatest tag teams ever, the Midnight Express at that point, coming off of there. But what were your thoughts of you know when Jimmy kind of gives you the Heavenly Bodies and, and, and the gimmick and working with Stan Lane? Well, I was here's here's where that was in my life and my career at the time. I was in Nashville, uh, working for Jerry Jarrett, and um, I had been there maybe a little over a year, I think. And uh, Jim called me out of the blue at my apartment in Nashville, and <clears throat> excuse me, asked me if I would be interested in uh, coming. Doing this deal with Stan because Bobby obviously had a contract in WCW, but Stan and Jimmy had left, and uh, he laid out what he wanted to do with Smoky Mountain and, and explained Rick Rubin was was the money guy behind it and and what uh, what he could do for me, what he could pay, and and this is what he had in mind. And I wasn't sure about it right off the bat. I didn't didn't. Uh, uh, you know, to open up a new territory in that day and age, it really was a risk. But, as I said, I'd been in Nashville for a while, Memphis for a while, and it was time to go. And now to have an opportunity um, to be paired with the top guys, I thought, my God, why not? This, this is a great opportunity. I thought I was very uh, flattered. I was uh, uh, humbled. I was I was thrilled. And... Why not? And I, I knew Stan before. Always got along with Stan. He was funny. He was entertaining and a great worker. So I thought, what a great idea. And uh, so I had no problems coming in, uh, especially I, and I'd addressed in Knoxville before, so I understood the, the town. I understood that the, the people in East Tennessee are still, you know, they, they, they're old school wrestling fans, a lot of them are anyway. And they remember guys like Whitey Caldwell and Ron and Don Wright still to this day. And if you don't know who those guys are, you can look them up or just come to Knoxville and somebody will tell you. Um, so, you know, I, I once I realized that Jim was serious and this was a real deal, uh, I went ahead and gave my notice and came in. But I was thrilled, man. I thought, uh, you know, great idea. I just happy to be a part of it. To me, at that point, it would be a little bit of pressure, you know, almost being that Bobby Eaton role, almost filling in for Bobby Eaton role. Was it more excitement, though, rather than pressure and feeling nervous at all about it? Well, I think by that time I was 30. It was 1990, and I just turned 30. So I'd already had, like, uh, about 10 years in the business. And uh, I didn't I didn't feel pressure as much as excitement because it was going to be a different team. Um, Bobby was a different personality than I was, and uh, you know I all through my career I really never uh, pushed anything and never really uh, uh, stepped up and said, "Hey, what about this? What about that?" Except maybe a couple times in Alabama. Uh, when I was with the Armstrongs, but now I had somebody telling me, "Hey, you're going to be with us, and we're the top team, uh, and we have this opportunity. So if you had the confidence to call me, you called me. I didn't call you looking for a gig. So this was more like you know who I am. Jim had known me for years. Uh, you, you knew if my personal personality would match up with Stan's, if if I could uh, work well with others in the back." Um, well, then that's good enough for me. You're giving me the confidence, and Jim, Jim's, Jim gave me the confidence and the vote, vote of confidence on his part. So, no, there wasn't really any pressure, I don't think. It was just uh, the excitement of coming in and uh, making it blend and making it work. And I think it did up until the time Stan said, eh, I don't think I'm going to drive all the way from Charlotte <laughs> and make these shots for what he's making. So... You know, 
so obviously then you're transitioning to uh, Gigolo, Jimmy Del Rey, who's great chemistry with you, unbelievable tag team. There I say almost a step above you and Stan just because of the fact that I feel like you guys had this weird, like undeniable chemistry together. Do you, you know, did you enjoy making that shift and, and teaming with JDR? Well, I got to tell you, um, I, you know, at that, at that point in my life and my point, that point in my career, I um, had already pretty much, uh, had my own way of thinking and Jimmy Del Rey and I were two different people backstage. We just, uh, in, in the ring, I couldn't deny, man, he was a great worker, but, but when we would go backstage, uh, I really was the kind of guy, if I went out, um, I wanted to scope out the place and kind of lay back and let let the action come to me if there was any to be had, if you follow what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Jim was the kind of guy who, who, yeah, Jim was the kind of guy who wanted to go in blaring, man, all just full speed ahead and let everybody know we're there, he's there, man, hey, man, and, and, and be the center and be the, be the attraction. Well, that's okay if you're going to be cool. Uh, but there were moments when he would drink a little or be a little over the top, and uh, it just it wasn't wasn't my scene, you know. So we, we just were two different people. But a lot of it was me, man. I, I had uh, I had my issues, and I I just was one of those guys that wanted things my way. And if you didn't want to do them my way, that's fine. Do them your way, but just stay the hell away from me because i got a system going. You know what I mean? And at that time, like I said, I was, I was in my early 30s, man, and I was just uh, – <laughs> I didn't have time for a lot of a lot of other things that somebody else wanted to do. I, I wanted to do my thing, and uh, Jimmy wanted to do his. But the great thing about it was um, – in the ring, we, we, we worked great. Uh, but, you know, when we went backstage, we just kind of did our own thing. We kind of traveled by ourselves, too. And we traveled a couple times together, but that just proved to be, you know, just we, we didn't need the stress of, of traveling with each other, living with each other all the time, and then getting to the ring. So we just kind of made it work the other way. And uh, I saw him in Charlotte, like... Uh, right before he passed away in, in, in August. He came to Greg Price's uh, um, Charlotte show, the uh, legend show in Charlotte. And, and we, we did a Tenley Body reunion, saw him, we talked and reconciled, and, and it was great seeing him. Uh, then he passed away in December of that year. So <clears throat> do I wish I would have uh, done things different? Man, I wish I would have done a lot of things different, but be that as it may. I enjoyed working with Jimmy in the ring. Outside the ring at that time, we were best separated. Yeah, I mean, and you guys definitely, you know, a lot of fans remember because of the the time that you guys spent at WWF, but as that team kind of, you know, matured together, did did it get worse as you guys were kind of a longer tenure team, or, or did it kind of just become you know, the the second nature for you that you went your way and he went his way. Did it kind of, you know, switch a little bit when you guys went up north? Um, I, I, I wouldn't say that it got worse. I would just say that um, I had my uh, rituals and he had his. And uh, my rituals <laughs> were a little darker <laughs> at times. And um, I didn't like people... Uh, shining light on me, and sometimes that happened, and and it just was better off that we, you know, he was he was hanging with other people, and I was hanging with other people, and uh, a lot of times I was by myself because I preferred it that way. But when we got up there, um, you know, it's it's a different, it, it was a different way of. Uh, existing up there you you if if you wanted to to run with um with with one pack 
you know, you had to be with that pack at that time. And I just, man, I'm just, I've never been a pack guy except with my pack. You know, Brad Armstrong was my pack, and that was it. And everybody else, I just always was looking over my shoulder, and Jimmy kind of liked getting in that pack and didn't realize that, that you know, they're going to eat you in the end. And uh, they did. They eventually did. So, um, anyway, as far as did it get worse or did it kind of just become the norm, I think it got worse on my part. Uh, and Jimmy just kind of did what he had to do. The new sponsor is Lucy. Lucy Nicotine is a company founded by Caltech scientists and former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative made for people, not patients. So Lucy has created a nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine, and it comes in three great flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate. Also the lozenge as well in cherry ice flavor. Well, you can go to Lucy.co. That is Lucy.co and use the promo code Dr. Tom to get 20% off all products, including gum and lozenges. That's Lucy.co. Use the promo code Dr. Tom at checkout. Also have to give this disclaimer warning. This product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. So Lucy.co made sure to use the promo code Dr. Tom. That's D-R-T-O-M. And I have some of the uh, cinnamon pomegranate. My brother-in-law, I'm not a smoker either, but I gave it to my brother-in-law who's a big smoker. He loves it because basically his wife and, and he's got two little kids were basically saying, Yo, you got you gotta yeah. stop you gotta stop smoking. You stink. You got and, and when he would go out and smoke it was kind of embarrassing. They wouldn't let him smoke in the house. So he'd have to go around the corner smoke and you know, kind of hide you know from everybody come back in uh use the cologne or whatever and stink so he's saying this is great because first of all the kids don't even realize they think he's chewing regular gum so, right. he, so he was saying he absolutely loves it just for the fact that it's kind of one of those things where they don't know he's doing it but yeah there you go lucy so you know i just think it's awesome too because his wife's happy and his kids are happy he's not smoking <laughs> smoking right now yeah. it's yeah. helpful for everybody not only him but to, for his family a lot more healthy for you as well. So, I mean, if you, if you need a nicotine brush or need a nicotine fix, man, chew the gum. It does have a lot of cool flavors. Pomegranate and wintergreen and uh, cinnamon aren't bad at all. Yeah, if, if you do smoke, try this. Check it out. You won't be uh, looked at like you have four eyeballs coming out of your head. Awesome stuff from Lucy. So, for all you taking to school with Dr. Tom, our listeners go to lucy.co. Use the promo code Dr. Tom for 20% off all products, including gum and lozenges. You know, it's so fascinating with you and, and Jimmy. It's funny, you know, you, you get along in the ring, outside the ring, people would have no idea, you know, different personalities. But one thing that you guys did, you know, we may never see in wrestling again, you're in Smoky Mountain, you're feuding with the Rock and Roll Express. Then you bring that feud to WCW, you know, and uh, Super Brawl, and you wrestle them there in a great match. And then you bring it to WWF and Survivor Series, and you have a match there. Was that kind of crazy for you at that point, going literally being at Smoky Mountain, but going WWF and WWF in the same year? Yeah, it was. It was a little crazy, but the circumstances dictated. I mean, uh, it was supposed to be um, we were going to start doing things with WCW because Bill Watts was in that uh, decision-making position. And when he got fired, um, we got the offer from WWF. And, of course, I don't know if you talked to JC about this, but you know the way we did it. Uh, my brother called and wanted – my dad had come to visit me in Knoxville, and he was making the towns with me. And my brother wanted him to do a, a promo on the uh, for us and to send it up there to him. And it was a rib on me, but we, we did it in, in – Bruce played it for some people up in New York, and they said, hey, man, they saw Cornette, and they wanted Cornette to come up and be the spokesman for Yokozuna. But then they said, well, okay, bring the, the heavenly bodies up, and uh, you know, we can put them in a couple matches and they can do the tag team thing. But, but when we did the Rock and Roll Express thing in, in uh, WCW, you know, we were going to start making shots there because it was close, and then the New York thing came up, and we got to do uh, work with the Steiners, and we worked with Rock and Roll 
at Survivor Series in Boston where they absolutely massacred us. They didn't want to see wrestling. They wanted to see WWF style, man. And, and we didn't give them that. We gave them a high spot Southern match, and they just crapped all over us. But, you know, i got to tell you, man, it was still a cool thing uh, to be able to do that. And, and you know, I, I, at the time it was exciting, but also at the time I, I understood what it was. You know, they they were looking for a way to get Jimmy up there, but give us a shot too, and, and they did. So, no, I have no complaints, man, except when I had to cut my hair. And even then, I'm not complaining. I just thought it was <laughs> pretty crappy. But, you know, it was what it was, man. I... I, I again, I got to do a lot of things that uh, some guys don't get to do. So, and, and it led to a great opportunity in in training and coaching. And come to find out, I love that even more than performing. You know, I, I, I mean, I love performing, but, but at the same time, there was nothing more satisfying than uh, watching somebody gain confidence because I understood what it's like to have no confidence. You know, to doubt yourself all the time, and then to finally understand and watch somebody get it when they when they they're looking for that step and they they don't know how to take that step, and then you give them that permission to go ahead and just go all out and do whatever it has to do whatever you have to do. Nobody's going to make fun of you. Nobody's going to con- condemn you. Just take a chance, and when they do, they finally find it. That that's that was something that uh, I wouldn't have been able to find if I wouldn't have taken that journey to go with Jim in Smoky Mountain, which led to WWF, hence WWE. So that transition from wrestler to trainer kind of came to you naturally and came to you easily? I think so, yeah. I didn't realize it at the time, but as time went on, it, it, I did realize it because I, the more I was saying these things and, and uh, expounding on the positive, it was something that I wish someone would have done for me along the way. Uh, but but that's cool, man, because I, I I at least got to do it for a couple other people. But yeah, it did come. It came a lot easier than I thought. Now, obviously, I want to just go back to Smoky Mountain for a second, because you know you're, you're WCW, WWF, obviously still in Smoky Mountain doing doing different things there. But while in Smoky Mountain, these two young upstarts who would eventually become some pretty big names in the business, thrill seekers, Jericho and Storm, did you see anything out of those guys at that point? Did you kind of, you know, as they're kind of coming up through the ranks, you say, wow, these guys got something. They're going to, you know, they're going to be stars. Uh, Yeah, I didn't know how big they'd be. But, yeah, yeah, you could see it, man. Jericho especially was uh... (laughs) – Jericho. Um, especially with that guy who just had the bravado, the the confidence, and he looked the part. You know, he broke his arm doing the shooting star press before the match after we had already cut a month worth of promos and, and told Jim he's going to go out and practice this move. And Cornette said, just don't get hurt. And then somebody came back and said, hey, Jericho broke his arm. He's on his way to the hospital. Uh, Jim thought it was a rib. You know, but yeah, you could see these guys and and tell that they had it. The how how far would they go? Nobody could tell at that time. But I mean, they had something. They had drive. Um, they had the willingness to come from Canada down to Knoxville, Tennessee, and take a chance. And that's what you have to do in the business. And they were young enough. It was it was a smart move on their part. But yeah, certainly, I, both of them were in shape. They, they had passion. They were enthusiastic. So, sure, I think we all saw something in them. Smoky Mountain, the last real territory. So, really, when you go back and watch it, whether it be the network or YouTube or whatever, it always is fascinating to me how good it was. And, you know, remembering it from back in the day, I feel like some people, you know, may have had different opinions on it, but so many guys – have came from Smoky Mountain, whether they went on to ECW or whether Vince was kind of using Smoky Mountain as a feeder league for the WWF at that point. Did you kind of see it as that? Like, you know, you see Glenn Kane Jacobs, and all of a sudden, you know, he's a Unibomb, and then he's in the WWF. Uh, Al Snow, yourself at one point, did you kind of see yourself as not being a feeder league, but almost being that league getting getting you ready for the WWF? 
Well, I, I believe that's what it was supposed to be. Originally, it was. Yeah, I, I think that was that was going to be uh, the developmental per se system, and and have her fed feed down into Smoky Mountain, but it just didn't turn out. Uh, of course, later on, OVW in uh, Louisville did when Jim wanted to leave Stanford, and uh, we had already started the developmental system in Stanford. Uh, he talked. Vincent and taking it down to Danny Davis's OVW, and uh, that was originally what Smoky Mountain was meant to be. Yeah, it was going to be like that with WCW until Watts got fired, and then uh, I believe something was in the works, but then in the meantime, uh, the business was really, really changing, and just to keep things afloat, it was uh, JC being a one-man show, and that's, that's a hard deal to do when you're, you're trying to get everything done by yourself and uh, you know yeah I, I think it would have been great but you know things didn't work out that way so many guys from Smoky Man just stick out even a guy like D'Lo Brown you know him him going from Smoky Man to the WBF but you know you are doing something special coming up soon with uh, Smoky Mountain former Smoky Mountain alumni that I mentioned that is Glenn Kane Jacobs. Are you surprised to see him getting into the uh, the political realm and kind of getting into that side of the of the spectrum? Not really. You know, uh, Glenn's a pretty smart guy, and he's very uh, community aware. He wants to help his community. He, he fell in love with Knoxville when he when he was actually wrestling for Smoky Mountain, and he. He met a lady here, Crystal, that he fell in love with and married, and he's been here for, gosh, I don't know, 20 years. Uh, but he's always been involved in community uh, activities. He he does charitable, my God, charities, uh, not just in Knoxville, but Atlanta, I believe it was. He just, he just came back from Atlanta doing something. I don't know exactly what it was. But to see him get involved uh, with the city and, and to – run for mayor uh, doesn't surprise me at all because he's that kind of guy. He's a can-do guy. He's a will-do guy. He, he, he looks uh, uh, he'll, he looks for the right answer. He'll listen to any suggestions. Uh, but he, he knows what's right. He knows what's right in his heart. He knows what's right in his mind. He knows what's right and the right things to do. And, and I believe in him and I support him. And I'm looking forward to be the next mayor of Knox County. Nice. So we uh, we wish him the best of luck. Obviously, uh, my co-host Chad is uh, very good friends with him, so he's uh, definitely rooting for him as well, which is very cool. But you know, speaking of you know WWF guys, and obviously he made the transition pretty well at a 20-year run in the WWF. Now you kind of mentioned it and alluded to it before cutting the hair when you had to go to the WBF and were kind of going full-time and becoming obviously part of the body Donna's with Chris Candido and on his skip. Obviously Sonny was with you as well, but what was it about cutting the hair? You, you just fell, you know, attached to the hair. You, you didn't like cutting it. No, 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 no. <laughs> Here's what it was, man. You know, uh, it's kind of like, uh, I had my hair for, gosh, I don't know, 10 years, maybe it had been that long, maybe longer, 50, I don't even remember how long I had it that long. But after being that and walking around again with my hair on my face and I had this uh, scowl on my face and I didn't like people, I mean, it'd be, it, it was one of the, I, I don't think it was one, uh, one of those things where uh, you turn into your character, but I was... Um, let me see, how can I put this? I was uh, sailing the ocean uh, for about 30, 35 years, and uh, all of a sudden somebody wanted me to come on dry land. And, uh, you know, if you do that, if you if you go to sea for a long time and, and you try to step on dry land after, you know, it takes a while to get your legs back under you. That's kind of how it was when I cut my hair. You know, I'd had that hair for so long. It was like a shield. It was like my flag against society or whatever you want to call it. And now I don't have that flag to wave or I don't have that flag to hide behind. I had to be exposed to the world. 
and I wasn't very friendly to the world, and the world wasn't very friendly to me, but I couldn't hide my uh, eyes, I couldn't hide my uh, scowl, I couldn't look down. Everybody could see me in plain sight. And that was the, uh, that's the metaphor I can use, you know, it's like being a sea for, for so long, and all of a sudden you have to come into shore and, and walk like you're on, on steady ground. Well, it's not so easy, man, because I've kind of been, you know, with weather storms and sunny days, cloudy days, and things like that. And uh, now it's all gone. I have no shelter. That's what it was like. You know, I felt naked. Hmm. Now not that I wouldn't, hey, so... listen, man, no, no, let me say this. Not that I wouldn't have mind walking around naked, man, but at the same time, <laughs> you know, I would have had my hair. So... <laughs> That was very poetic, the way you kind of put that. That mm. was uh, well said. Well, I got a lot sure. more where that came from, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, the actual the Body Donna character, you know, there's a gimmick with Candido as, as Skip and obviously Sonny as the manager. Did you enjoy that character? Did you, like we were kind of saying, some of the over-the-top characters, did you enjoy playing that one? Not a bit. Not one second. No. Did not enjoy it. I hated every minute of it. I really, really did. I love Chris Candido. I loved being around Chris. He he was yeah, Chris was a good kid. He was very very passionate about wrestling. But I hated the gimmick. I didn't know the gimmick. I didn't like the gimmick. I tried to be a gimmick. It wasn't me. It it, it was. I was so out of water. And at that time in my life, though, again, uh, all these all these uh, issues were adding up, if you will. And I just got to the point where I just, it was a job. And when, when, when you look at, at professional wrestling as a job, it's going to suck because there's other things that, you know, the, the, the mats, the rings were so hard back then too. They hadn't switched the rings yet. They didn't switch the rings in WWE until after uh, we started training guys in the warehouse in Stanford. And I, I was taking all the bumps even more so than when I was wrestling. And I told my brother and Vince, man, we got to find a way. We finally <laughs> made the rings like they were in the South with a handsome give. But anyway, um, I just, uh, I hated being a body donor. It wasn't me. I, I didn't know how to be that body donor to make it work. And then when they wanted to take away Sonny and give us Cloudy, Vince told us at a meeting in Madison Square Garden of all places, and Candido said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I thought, oh, geez, don't say anything. But it was the stupidest thing I ever heard, and I should have spoke up too. But they didn't care. We were pretty well screwed anyway. So it was a terrible gimmick. It was a suck gimmick. It was a drizzling suck-ass gimmick. Terrible. So no, no. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Yeah. <laughs> Good thing I didn't mention uh, Doctor X and, and the bracket. No, I thought, and Doctor. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Doctor X was okay, man, because I didn't mind going out there losing under a mask. I didn't mind going out there losing anybody anyway. But that wasn't as bad as being a body Donna. <laughs> Just didn't like it. Did not care for it. Did you? Hey, you but guys we, were tag team, some... we were tag team champions, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say you guys had some great moves with the Godwins and then ended up winning the, the tag team title. So it's not all that bad, right? I mean, there's some positives. Wait a minute. Well, okay, but there's the thing. I, and I love, I love Henry and, and Phineas, and they're two very, very good guys. But it was the body Donners versus the Godwins. Look at the tag. Anyway, don't, don't, no, I'm not even going to go down this road. <laughs> That's a ter- this is a terrible road to go down. The Godwins were great guys, but they sure aren't classic matches. They were what they were. So we did what we did, and we got through it. So when you guys are kind of the body Donners or even, even Dr. X or whatever, do you guys have any kind of clout at all like it's with Vince like can you say anything to him like for instance you didn't like the idea with uh, Sonny being gone from the group or anything can you mention something to Vince and can you kind of take it to him sure sure you could and Chris did but I didn't because I didn't want to make any waves and I really didn't care back then I didn't care but you get again I'm you know talking about these these issues and, and, and you know dark clouds and thunderstorms that were in my life you know, at that time, um, I, I had 
you know, I was not paying attention to what I needed to pay attention to. And all these other distractions were were extremely distracting. And uh, that's my fault. So looking back on it, um, I sabotaged a lot of things I should have just uh, paid more attention to and, and really uh, took more seriously. But sure, we could have said anything to Vince. That's, that's, we weren't, I don't think we were muted or, or held down or anything like that. If anybody, I held myself down. Um, and and I regret a lot of things I did. I regret a lot of things I didn't do. But um, <laughs> the only way I can uh, I can the only way I can survive is is by remembering something that he didn't he didn't originate it. But the American Dream told me one time. He said, "Yesterday is dead." Tomorrow's blind. You can just live one day at a time. So that's how I have to look at it right now, man. I think Willie Nelson wrote that in a song, but the American Dream told me that. He says, keep this in mind, kid. Yesterday's dead. Tomorrow's blind. You can just live one day at a time. I said, I'm going to steal that. He said, please do. Hmm. (laughs) That's great. Perfect uh, words of wisdom there by the dream. But, you know, just talking about something you do really love, and that was the training, and we'd be remiss to not bring him up. And you mentioned Kurt Angle when we spoke to you the last time and how, you know, you played such a huge part in Kurt Angle's uh, just learning what it was like to step through the ropes. And now he's a WWE Hall of Famer. And I know he's done a lot in the wrestling world, but now to be a WWE-enshrined Hall of Famer, that's a pretty big thing. So I guess the uh, the logical question would be, did you see Hall of Fame quality with Kurt Angle the first time you guys locked up? Is it the Hall of Fame quality Kurt Angle? Just Hall of Fame. You mean, did, did WWE I, Hall of Famer Kurt Angle. Yeah. I mean, what about him? He, he's Kurt. Not only, I mean, he's on, he's uh, the commissioner on Raw, or no, general manager, excuse me, on Raw now. Uh, but but Kurt was always there's no doubt if you didn't induct Kurt Angle or you didn't think of inducting Kurt in the Hall of Fame uh, after all he had done for WWE I mean that's that's ludicrous so I mean I knew it was just a matter of time I think everybody knew it was just a matter of time um, and Kurt by all means deserves it uh, he's, he's the only gold medalist ever to cross over and be successful. Uh, in, in a professional wrestling ring, but in a sports entertainment ring, I think he's very well deserved. I think all the all the Hall of Famers this year was very well, very very well deserved. Especially Rock and Roll Express, man, it was a shame they weren't in there sooner. But I think uh, that was that was very very fitting. Yeah, a lot of ties to uh, your career that went into that Hall of Fame class. But I guess also uh, Jason Jordan, Kurt Angle's son, must have been very proud of him. Uh, as well, that he's now a Hall of Famer, you know? Well, you know what, man? I, I think Kurt, uh, obviously, living the life of what <laughs> of professional wrestlers back then, knowing that we would, uh, you know, hang out in the bar and find someone to get lucky with later on. And who knew, who knew that, that uh, an offspring of Kurt would finally rise to the occasion, not only rise to the occasion, but show up in WWE one day and, as he is the GM and and say, Dad, here I am. I mean, how how ironic and how fitting that, that something as caring and and lovely as that would happen. What do you think? Who who would have thought that it would have been on the same uh, you know they would have been the same company, same time? It worked out perfectly. But just another one more thing from here out of me uh, before John uh, carries it the rest of the way here. Just, we also talked about the shield. And at that point in 2015, we hadn't seen everybody uh, fully uh, developing to that point. It was really only Rollins was pushed forward, and uh, Roman was still, you know, getting that crown uh, put on top of his head that he was going to be the next guy. And you said that Rollins played the game very well. But now looking back two years after that interview, that was July 2015, seeing the evolution of the Shield, what do you think on how they've gone thus far? Obviously, we've seen all of them kind of take that step forward, all three have been world champions since we spoke with you. 
all all three of those guys have really stepped up and really shown everybody um, that they deserve everything they got. Yeah, all three have held the title. All three have uh, done everything possible, and there's more waiting, man. Roman Reigns, uh, I didn't. I, here's a mistake I made. I didn't think he was he was ready, but you know the old quote: if you if you wait until you're ready, it's going to be too late. So I mean, he was perfect for the for the, the spot, and he's perfect for the spot now. Um, Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins, uh, I think are going to be around for a long, long time, and I think they proved everybody and shown everybody. Um, that they're capable and main event stars, that they are legitimate, bona fide superstars. You can't deny that, all three. Roman Reigns, he has the look. He has the attitude. He has the aptitude to, to succeed and to uh, – he's not afraid. That's the thing. He's not afraid. He stepped up. You don't, you don't go over the Undertaker unless you have the confidence – of the office, and unless they believe in you, that just doesn't happen. And how do you get them to believe in you? And that's why consistency and and putting out that effort that he does every night. All those, all three of those guys have been great. I'm I'm happy for all of them. I'm proud of all of them. As I start to wind it down here, I know in the last couple of weeks, Roman Reigns and Cena have been doing some shoot promos and, and things like that, or, you know, quote, unquote, unquote, shoot promos. Have you had the chance to see any of that? And are you, are you kind of seeing, because I thought Roman Reigns has been doing pretty good on it in, in the role that he's been given. Have you been able to kind of catch any of that? Do you catch any current wrestling? Yeah, sure do. I thought it was great. As a matter of fact, <laughs> if, if you, if you watch what's going on and you, you, you feel it and you see it. Um, for example, did, did you watch the Mayweather McGregor fight? Did you, mm-hmm. did you yep. see any of their, did you see any of their press conferences leading up? Yes. Because, okay. I had a couple guys tell me, man, that McGregor's going to kill him. He's a badass. He, he, he's, he's got that left hand. And I, I kept trying to explain, you don't understand. this. That's not what this is. Same thing with, with Reigns and Cena. Everybody is smart. Everybody knows everything. No, you really don't know everything. <laughs> I don't know everything. unless you, Nobody knows everything unless you're there listening. And even then when you're listening and, and, and knowing what's going on, even then there's that element of doubt. I think what they're doing is great just because they're saying things people don't think they're supposed to say to each other. That's great because when you get real with each other and, and look, the guys know what everybody's saying. The guys know what's out there. The guys know because it's their job to know. You have to be aware. And those guys, Roman is aware that people think he's not deserving. Okay, great. Cena's aware that people boo the shit out of him every, every week. That's great. Well, why not address it? Why not address it? And, and they are. They're addressing it. So people think, ooh, they're shooting on each other. Ooh, that wasn't supposed to be said. Ooh. And if it wasn't, so what? It'll only get Roman sharper. It'll get Cena sharper. That's what... My God, Lawler did it in Memphis for years. Terry Funk did it in Texas for years. You know, I've seen it before. You know, when 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 this was real, when when back in the the sixties and seventies, when you know you couldn't tell me wrestling was fake because it was real. And okay, well, it's the same thing, man. Everybody's been told, even on the front of the network, they say these are actors portraying a role, but. John Cena and, and Roman Reigns are shooting on each other. Really? They're shooting? What's a shoot? I don't know if I've ever seen a real shoot. I know what one's supposed to be, I think, but I, no, I take it back. I have seen a, I've seen Dick Slater grab Evan Johnson in the dressing room in Houston one night and just almost beat the hell out of him, but we had to pull him off. That's a shoot. I haven't seen a shoot in a ring. I don't know when, if ever. But 
if they want to shoot, and that's what they're, the people think they're doing, is shooting, then that's great because it adds a little more interest to it. Brock Lesnar is the most real guy they've got. But if he was shooting on everybody, I guarantee you, he wouldn't have the title and they wouldn't get in the ring with him. So, that's what I think. I think Roman Reigns is great. I think John Cena is great. Yeah, I feel like people are kind of uh, underestimating Roman a little bit right now, but he's definitely the the future or, uh, you know, the obviously, you know, anoint, the anointed one, if you will. But, you know, with the Performance Center, with NXT, with Triple H and this kind of things, are you, you know, obviously Roman Reigns came from FCW, which was a, a developmental territory at, at that point. But are you kind of glad to see kind of where developmental has turned back from, you know, kind of OVW, almost Smoky Mountain to a point now where we see it today with, um, you know, NXT and the Performance Center? Yeah, I think developmental's doing great, man. I really do because they have a great system going. <laughs> they're going to different cities. They're going to different places. Uh, yeah, they've they have really made their mark. I, I'm very happy for everybody at the Performance Center and NXT. Um, yeah, I, I, you can't deny success, and, and they've done a great job. So. The the only if if there's only one element I think is missing, but at the same time it's it it's kind of a, uh, a damned if you do, damned if you don't. You're not getting the same grit and grime as it used to be, but that's okay. They're getting a different grit and grime to the business because the business isn't as gritty and grimy as it used to be, so it has to be a little more sanitary. I get that. But some of that stuff uh, that you got just from having to travel halfway across town to go to the gym, you know, having to, to, to make sure that you, you got what you needed to do and not just have it laid out for you made made a little bit different mark on your, your your character and scar and your soul, if you will, whatever, just doing things for yourself. But I think it's great that the Performance Center lays it all out, and that's all they have to do. So if they can't learn there and they can't snap to what's going on in Orlando, then they can't snap to what's going on because that's the way the business is done these days. I think it's great they have everything at their fingertips, and that's that's a good thing. They're, they're traveling not just in the south, but they're going to the north and going to these different places. They're doing a great job. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very impressed with it. And I'm sure that's going to be a highly, highly discussed topic this coming October 21st at the Legends of the Ring convention in Monroe, New Jersey. As, like we've said at the top of this show, Dr. Tom will be joining Captain's Corner as well as the Young Stallions, Jim Powers and Paul Roma, the Dirty White Boy, Tony Anthony, and also Eric Embry and Eric Watts will also be joining wow. this crew as well. But, Dr. Tom, before we wrap it up, please give the fans one last pitch to come out to Legends of the Ring and what they can look forward to sharing an afternoon with you and a bunch of your cohorts talking a little old-school wrestling. Well, I know uh, that I personally enjoy talking to everybody who comes over and uh, shares their memories with me, and I know that uh, the Dirty White Boy, and if Eric Embry's there, I haven't seen him in years, man. We were uh, together in Memphis for years as well. Uh, come over and just share some of your memories with us, and, and uh, we'll sign whatever you got. I'll sign whatever you got. You got. How about that? And uh, I always look forward to hearing from uh, not just the fans, but the guys I haven't seen in a long time. Man, it's a, it's a great vibe. It's a great atmosphere, and uh, you're going to see a lot of people who haven't been around in, in a while. So come on out to Monroe, New Jersey, October 21st, man. I can't wait. Yeah, and you can go to Facebook.com and search Captain's Corner, and the Captain's Corner event ticket page is freewebstore.org slash captains-corner. Again, freewebstore.org slash captains dash corner it's going to be one hell of a day but dr dr tom before we let you go please share with the listeners where they can find anything and everything going on in the world of the doctor of desire tom pritchard 
Well, I am on Twitter at Dr. Tom Pritchard. There is no T in my name, and I'm noticing on this website it has a T in my name, but we'll get rid of that. So it's Dr. Tom Pritchard uh, on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, too, uh, Tom Pritchard. Just check me out. And, um, you know, that's that's really about it. I mean, uh, I'll write something now and then. I just haven't wrote anything in a long time. So, And I'll do some podcasts here, here and there. Be listening. Check it out. Awesome. Well, Dr. Tom, it was an absolutely uh, wonderful return for you to come back to us after two-plus years. So the pleasure was all ours, and uh, hopefully we don't have to wait another two-plus years to kind of shoot the breeze again. But we will see you at Legends of the Ring on October 21st. I'm looking forward to it, guys. Thanks a lot. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies.